Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. This is a Rogue Media Network podcast. Welcome to Purpose Driven Sobriety. Thank you for joining the Purpose Driven Sobriety Podcast. My name is Christine, and I am an alcoholic. Um, I want to thank today's sponsor, Mr. Ralph Greider, is um, is a great friend of the show. And thank you, Ralph, for sponsoring and, and being a friend to us in recovery. Um, I, I truly appreciate you. Um, so today, I have Mr. Jared B. Now, Jared, do you, I'm assuming you don't practice individual anonymity, Correct. No, I don't. Okay, so Jared, no, I'm I'm Blaine. cool. You're out there. Yep. <laughs> we're we're out, out there. there. That's perfect. Well, yes. I ran into Jared. Well, I think actually you were referred to me um, by a mutual friend, right? But I think we run in some yeah. of the same recovery pages and stuff um, yeah. on social yeah. media. And, and I say this pretty much every single show that just like in real life, um, you know, there are, you know, the, the, my humble opinion, I believe, you know, and I'm a 12 stepper. I believe that in person is where it's at, but if you're online, uh, you know, just like in person, you, you find where you fit, you know, where you, um, where you belong. So if, if you go into mm. a, a, a meeting and it, you know, after you've given it a, an honest try and it doesn't fit, you just try another meeting, you know, just same way online. So there's a lot of, a lot of resources on social media, you know, be sure to check all of those out. But Jared, thank you for taking the time to come and talk to me today. And on this show, we just simply share what it was like, what happened and what we're like now, just so we can reach that person who's still suffering. Um, so I want to hear all about you, Jared. Thank you for being here. Well, thank you for inviting me on. I'm excited for it. So every, every any chance I get to share my story, um, I do it. So, ditto, ditto. Thank you for I, that. I, I do it. No questions asked. I don't care how big or small the platform is. We just go for it. Amen. Amen. So tell me all about you. So uh, my name's Jared Blaine. My last name's too hard to say. I, my middle name's Blaine, so I go by Jared Blaine. Hey, Jared. <laughs> um, I am just over five years uh, in recovery. Congratulations. And so... Um, by the grace of God, I'm here and I'm living and, and, and I, 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 man, I just, uh, where do you want me to start? At? You just, <laughs> Hey, you just do you, honey. I just want to, yeah. Okay. What, what was it like? What was it like? Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So for me, um, a lot of it started at a very young, um, I was, you know, my mom was 15. She had me and, and my, my dad wasn't in the picture. So, you know, for me being born to a child pretty much as it is, um, her learning how to grow up it took a lot so uh you know but I, my mom was with different different men throughout um my life and definitely as a as young child uh, you know she was abused in different things and then of course that would transfer to us children um so I was eight the first time I was sexually abused and um and of course you know like at 
when that happens, you don't really understand it at that young of an age. So you get over and then you get older and then realize like what it did, how mm -hmm. it really messed you up. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, I was I was the typical just we moved a lot. Um, you know, my mom was these guys that would travel for work. And so there'd be six of us living in a little RV, you know, bumper pool RV, traveling all over the country. Um, but I didn't start to finish a whole school until I was seventh grade. It was like the very first time I actually finished a full year. I always, on half the year, transferred to another place, so on and so forth. Um, but, you know, I met friends who, I mean, we're, we're, you know, 12, 13, starting to smoke weed and started, you know, just, just what teenagers do, unfortunately. Um, and I didn't really have any experience with anything. It was just, uh, I'll take a, take a little shot of liquor, you know, do, do this or something. Um, but really what kind of led me downhill was I was 13 years old. Um, it was Mother's Day. And uh, my stepfather at the time, my mom was married for about five years. He, he fell 200 feet off a cliff and I watched him die in front of me, fortunately. And that being Trump, you know, that was obviously a traumatic, traumatic experience for me. So um, that's kind of when I started last shout and act and, you know, just now I'm smoking more, drinking more, uh, you know, you name it. My mom sent me to live with my aunt in California to try to help straighten me out. Um, I was 16. I got into a motorcycle accident. I broke a lot of bones and that was my introduction to opiates of course i went through a year a year and a half of physical therapy two years of um of almost two years of physical therapy three months in a wheelchair is like at, at 16 years old and you're being fed every single opiate that you can imagine and that right there was kind of that was my to it. it it wouldn't be till i was about 19 where i 18 or 19 when i actually started you know like realizing that i liked it like that because i took it as prescribed those kids so i really wasn't too too crazy like weed's my thing i didn't care about anything else other than, other than, even drinking like really wasn't my deal or just i was a piehead and so when i when i did my thing i went through my my recovery um for my accident and then i got hurt at work when i was i'd say 19 they put me on a, on, on, on an opiate and that right there was like, right when I was like brought up all those feelings all over again. Um, so for me, it was, you know, mine didn't happen until late. Some people, you know, happens really, really early in life, but mine didn't happen until I was after when I was adult, but I got married at, at 19. I had my first kid at 19. And so for me, like I had to grow up really, really fast. Um, but fast forwarding on that you know it just i went i went 15 years naturally on and off with 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 uh, opiate addiction and good 13 of those no 14 of those years like nobody knew i had a problem and my ex-wife at the time we were married 12 years we we're together 13 married 12 three kids a functioning addict 100 i had a career i had a job uh, it wasn't like i was like I made plenty of money. So it wasn't like I was like out on the streets, you know, uh -huh. trying to sell this and that whatnot. Like my, my, my addiction was pretty self sufficient. I, I, I had a plug where I went to and whatnot. Just nobody knew I had an, and I never had let it affect my life at all. Like, or, or, so I thought, you know, at the time we think we say that, but until you look back, right. But I really didn't, I didn't have an issue. Like it was, I, 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 I got up once to work, 
took care of my family and, and, and I, and I, and I did my, you know, I did what I did. Um, and it was just, it wasn't until later on, you know, like I'd say like the last two years of my addiction where that's when it got sloppy. That's when I, I lost my job. I came out, you know, I ended up getting sloppy. I lost my job. Then I ended up running out of money. Then I ended up having to pawn tools and, and just do it sell my guns, sell whatever I could just to my fix. You know, I never dealt with or anything, but it was always like opiates and fentanyl and oxy. That like, that was like my DOC, but that's because that's what I was introduced to when I was a kid for my, my accident. Mm-hmm. And um, I got involved with some people that uh, I have to watch how, how much I share on this part. Oh, sure. um, but I, I got involved with, you know, I'm from Arizona. Um, and I'm half Hispanic, so I speak Spanish. I lived in Mexico for a brief period of time. So I got involved with some people um, south of the border. And that's when I ended up doing distribution, different things to that nature. Um, it was more of um, a lot of it was just, you know, I could get unlimited amounts of money that I want, you know, unlimited amounts of product, this, that, and the third, I got fronts. And I, I, I started to come kind of come back up in my, in my addiction. I went from like having to pawn everything to like here. Now I got this connection. Now I have a way to make money. Now I can do this, that, and the third. Um, but I had to do some things that I didn't want to do. And it was more of, of, of wrong place, wrong time, because I walked in and I saw something in that exact moment. And, um, Basically, I'm trying to figure out how to tell this portion without, because uh, I used to be able to tell it all day long with no problem. Mm-hmm. Until recently, I went onto a podcast and I, I was 100% and, and uh, it kind of got me in some hot water. So I'm not, you know, I'm trying to still want to share share that, sure. but be, I'm just being transparent with you. Uh, so basically, uh, I ran into a situation that I didn't want anything to do with, but I was basically forced into it in that kind of scared the crap out of me at that point Mm. that was one of those things where it was like man like it's now you know now or never and i ended up getting in debt with with the same guys that i was making money with i ended up getting in debt with them i ended up owing them i ended up having to sign titles to my vehicles over you know you name it i had to do it because of i I owed them these are the type of people that are not some street level you know dime bag selling people like you owe money, you pay it. Somewhere, somehow, I mean, and they, they broke into my house. They ransacked my house for every single thing that they could find. So I had to make right on that. A certain situation that I walked in on and that I saw and that I had to be a part of, it scared the absolute crap out of me. I was just like, wow, like, I don't want, I don't want anything to do with this. And they're like, well, you, you know, you got A choice or B choice. Which one is it? And both of those weren't. None of them were a good choice. And so, um, but then I realized, you know, like, if I don't get out of this situation, like, that's going to be me next. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what, what's happening in this situation is going to be me because they don't care. Like, as long as you're benefiting certain people, right. you're cool all day long. But the minute that you don't benefit them or they don't, it's, it's you know, it's like sharks. They'll just head off and, and, and move on. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So for me, what it what it what it took for me to basically get sober was to run into the situation, get the crap scared out of me, pay off my debts, move fifteen hundred miles away to Texas. That's I remember told you so I moved yeah. to Texas. Yeah. Um I moved to the Waco area, but well first Fort Hood and then then Waco. But I um yeah, I my and mind you, my ex wife knew absolutely nothing really? up until like she knew nothing. Like she was completely oblivious to everything wow. and it wasn't until like my house got broken into and ransacked before she actually figured out Sometimes what the heck's right. going on yeah yeah you know and then i have to explain one i had to explain to her like where i'm getting these large amounts of money from because i would just come home with like i bought a new truck you know or here we go i bought a motorcycle or about you know she's like well where did you get this from oh i got a bonus at work because mm-hmm. i was making really good money so i was able to you know bs myself out of a lot of things but again, she just always took it like, okay, like, never questioned anything until, you know, the, the, the house got broken into and, you know, people showing up at the doorstep and whatnot. And, and then it was kind of more of like, she ended up finding, you know, my, my little stash that I kept in the house and she found that by accident. And it was just like, this is the thing, how she found out was. I, I I was I was in the hospital. I had to do I, something happened. I was in the hospital. I needed my, my my charger, and so I told her, you know, go home in my work truck and my center. Well, in my in my work truck charger. She goes, okay. I didn't sell her anything else other than said it's in. I don't know where it is. And then she said that she went there, and she said she felt like God literally told her, get in the truck, open up the center console. In this dash can, this is what you're going to find. That She felt like every single one of those words, she did exactly that. And there was all my stuff. And mind you, it wasn't like you could just open up the the the, the so and there it is. Like, it mm-hmm. was legit stash, stash can yeah. hidden. Like, you didn't, you would have to literally tear stuff apart. And she said that she was felt, she just said she felt some type of spirit instruct her to do every single one of those steps. And that's and that's how she found out. So when she questioned me about it, then putting two and two together with everything at the house and whatnot, I had no choice other than to come and tell her, you know, what basically everything that I had been going through. And mm-hmm. I told her I got myself involved with some that we don't want anything to do with. Um, but in order for me to get away with my life, I have to, you know, make right, do certain things, you know. And that was going into paying everything off. Um, and then she's like, you know, she, I was expecting her just to be like, you know, I'm done. Like, cause our, listen, our marriage was, we got together because of, a, of, of our kid at that time. Like she was 17. I was 18. We were, and then, well, she was 16. Sorry. I was 18. And then when she was 17, when she had him. And then of course I was 19 cause our birthdays were like right next to each other. Mm-hmm. So, that's why we got married. Like her mother was very religious and was just like, you know, you're not moving anywhere unless you guys get married. And, and, and of course it, she was a family friend. Too, so like, it's not like we didn't know each other. Right. But so her mom took her down to the courthouse, got the marriage license and, and did it. But that was the only reason, honestly, that we even got together and got married was because of our, our child. And then of course, just over the course of 12 years, we had two more kids and, and it was just, it was more out of, of comfort based on like love or anything Mm -hmm. so um i was expecting her to be like just done screw you we're done this and the third but 
you know, she basically gave me the choice. Like, it's either like your family or, or, or the drugs. And I was like, fuck, my kids are like my everything. So, of course, and I was, I got scared of everything. So I was ready. I was ready. So I chose my family. And um, we just kind of literally looked at a map through a dart and it landed on Central Texas. And we, within two weeks, we sold every single thing that we owned other than like a couple garbage bags full of clothes. We put them in our vehicle. We drove. 1100 miles to, to central Texas, it, no house, no job. It was just on pure faith. And, um, within that first week had a house, had a job, like everything was lined up. And, and of course, then the rest was history at that point. And, and so I'll kind of, before I jump into that, you know, give you some time to digest, you know, what had happened up to the point. Mm-hmm. Wow. So how yeah. old were your kids when you came to Texas? So it must have been tw- so, your oldest 12. My oldest my oldest just turned 13, my middle turned 11 and my daughter's 9. Oh. So okay. and I've been sober for 5 years so subtract you know 5 from all of those. Right, right, right. So they were my daughter was really was young. Right. My daughter was obviously she was really young. 5 or 6, um, yeah. Yeah, about 5, 4, 4. Wow. 4 or 5. And um, my kids didn't re- at that time like they didn't really understand. They they even then they didn't know anything. Of course, they were too little, uh-huh. so it's not like you know they were gonna go out and say anything. But um, they just now as an adult, or at, not as an adult, but as now that they're older, like my oldest has gotten you know he's gotten upset with me about a, a couple things and and. I know that he, I'm very open with my, with my past, especially when it comes to my kids, just because I don't want to be, I I, I want, I don't want to hide it. And um, so when he found out about everything, like he had a lot of like different things. And so like he wouldn't, when he gets mad, you know, when he used to get mad at me, he used to like pop off on me. Mm -hmm. Well, go go snort another pill or do this or that. And like, that hurt. Oh, that hurt so bad. And so, Everything I try to do now is, is is try to show them that even though like they're in Texas or in San Antonio, I'm I'm in New York, and and so like I try to show them like even though I'm not there, like everything I'm doing in my life was essentially for them at that at that time. Like yeah, I got sober. I wanted to get sober for me because we all know that if you don't get sober for you, it's just if you get sober for somebody else, it's it it doesn't it doesn't pan out yeah, the way you expect it. Last, yeah. But my kids were my motivation a hundred percent because my deal my my DLC at at the last two years was fentanyl and I knew it a hundred percent, you know, and that's the same stuff that was killing tons and tons of people at that time. And so, you know, and I, I've overdosed plenty of times and I used to have doctors and EMTs tell me, you know, one day you're gonna take this, you're gonna go to sleep and you're never gonna wake up. And I, I just, I didn't care. Right. So for me, it was like when I decided to do that, like my kids were absolutely number one. Like I want to be around, I want to be alive for my children. You know, I just, I, um, on Wednesday mm-hmm. and I'm like, you know, and so at that time, you know, I was just, just hitting 30. I'm like, I, I, I'm young. I'm still a young guy. Like, I don't want to die. Like I really did. And I wanted to be there for my kids. And I also didn't want to go out as, as, as dying as, as an addict. I try to be very open and honest, but my kids did save me a hundred percent, like hands down. Like they're the reasons why I actually did it. And there's the reasons why I stuck and continued to do it. Right. Because 
So you got to Central Texas. So, what what happened after you got the house and the job and the car? Yeah, so I mean, you know, I we I got there, everything just kind of everything lined up uh, the way that it should. Everything we were provided with everything, and I just my my recovery just I started going. For me, like like I, I like I explained to you before, you know. I, I don't do AA, I don't do any, you know, and I support a hundred percent, you know, like for me, it was like celebrate recovery. Like that was my thing. Mm -hmm. That's what, you know, because that was, that was a faith-based program and, and that's just what I was used to. And so, you know, I started going to meetings and, and that, and I started participating in that. Um, and then I just started just working on myself. Like I didn't have, I had a flip phone for, for like two years. Um, I had a flip phone. I had no social media. Like I deleted everything. I, the only people that had my phone number was, was, was my, like my boss and my wife at the time, like even my mom, my family, like nobody had that because again, a lot of the stuff I had to get away from was from my family too. Right. Um, you know, the, the people that introduced me to these people was family. Mm. So, and for me growing, excuse me, for me growing up, that type of environment was normal. Um, I had, I had family members and it was all that for me, like that was, that was a normal lifestyle. It wasn't like abnormal for me to see that. So naturally, you know, I get introduced to people through family. So I have to like, I cut everybody off when I left two years, I went and, um, I went home for the first time after two years, I went back to Phoenix. I made sure I didn't go back sooner, but I, we went back to visit, um, for the very first time. And, um, it felt really good because I knew like I wasn't gonna, like I had no, I had no issues about seeing, you know, um, yeah, I was, I had a little anxiety about being back there. Just, I knew that I, I knew what I wanted to do. I knew the goal was, was just to go there for weeks, but we're spending time with my family celebrating that I'm here, you know, and it's uh -huh. been two years, but, um, essentially like, that's just what it was. It was just me working on my recovery, going to meetings, uh, you know, I had, I was having like about a year in I, the podcast I have now, like that was started, you know, grinding in my head. It was just like, I want to share my story and I want to have other people share their stories. And so I, I just, I vowed, uh, about a year in when I started thinking about that, I made the promise to myself and I vowed, I said that I will for the rest of my life, I will help every single addict that I can, every mm -hmm. single person that was in, you know, that's an active addiction, that's in recovery. Like that was my, that was my goal i've done some great stuff through the last five years a lot of great things i absolutely love it like my my life is other than getting divorced which that's okay though because me and my my ex-wife are like really you know like we're best friends now compared to when we were together good but we had to go through that in order to be able to grow you know she's remarried you know i'm you know I, i've been my girlfriend for a year and a half you know eventually you know married and it's just different things and so we we to grow apart from each other, but still maintain that 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 relationship and that friendship. Uh, but recovery's brought some amazing, amazing things when it comes to when it comes to like our lives and and, and a lot of these things that I have today, I would not have if it wasn't for recovery. Mm. What took you to New York? My girlfriend. Oh yeah. So, so we um, I started this podcast uh, in twenty twenty two. Um, I just started it by myself. Of course. What's, what's the name in. of the podcast? Tell us about that. Yeah. yeah. So it's called the blacklist podcast, uh, B L A K L I S T. 
Um, and I started this back in 2022 and it was more of like just doing lives and whatnot. I knew I wanted to do recorded content, but it, I just didn't know how to start. And so I started doing lives. So I had a mutual friend who, um, who had been on the live a couple times and she's really good friends with Brianna, who's my girlfriend now. And, uh, so Brianna saw me on an episode on a live and she was like, wow, like he's cute, <laughs> you know, type deal. And so we started just casually talking and whatnot. And so, uh, I know we dated for a year before I moved out here. Um, we dated long distance for that time. I flew out here once a month. And then, of course, then I moved out here last February. So I'm coming on a year being out, moved out here. Oh, wow. But the podcast, though, yeah, the Blacklist podcast. And, and that was just my goal. Like a year into my recovery, it was I wanted to share not only my story, but exactly on helping others share their stories, let people know that they aren't alone, that we all um, we all have a purpose and a plan. And it doesn't matter how big or how small you are. It doesn't matter how successful you are or anything. And, and that's what that's why when we have a, a range of, of guests that come on, you know, we have everybody from just nine to fivers. And then we have people who are influencers and we have people who are TV stars and just and, 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 and it just goes to show that addiction and mental health and all that doesn't discriminate mm. anybody like it attack it hits everybody. And so when we have these different levels of people on and we show people. We are, you know, it doesn't matter who you are. You can look at somebody like Larry Bagby, you know, who's, you know, walk the line and Buffy and Hocus Pocus, you know, and then you can have somebody who's just grinding, working the nine to five and they're, they're, they are night and day on, on their, their levels, but their stories are just, just as impactful as, mm -hmm. as it doesn't matter. One person's story is, 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 is more impactful than the others. I believe that everybody has their own story and everybody's story, um, impact somebody in its own way right you know i've had i've i've reached out to people and say hey man i'd really love to have you on and they're like man like i don't have nearly as much followers as some of the people you've had on and i'm like i don't care about that mm -hmm. like dude i don't care about that you think i care about followers you know i was like i want to hear your story i right. want you for you because at the end of the day you know there may be somebody out there that that they need to hear your story in order for them to help them out you know, mm -hmm. that they don't need to have somebody with a million followers. They need to, they need to hear your story. Right. And and that's what I try to tell people, because they think in order to come on the podcast that they have to be this influencer. Not at all. Right. I just want to help broken people. Who, well, I was broken. I wish I would have that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, don't. You know, I didn't have that. And I wish that I would have had that at that time. Right. I can totally relate. Yeah, it's 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 amazing, you know, especially, you know, cuz I I'm a 12 stepper. Um so I mean, it's it's amazing going into a room of of AA, AA for instance and seeing just the, you know, you've got the guy that pushed his his shopping cart with all of his belongings up to the door and then you've got the judge that's, you know, sitting at the same table and it's just like our our stories are the same. I mean, that, that desperation, that, that hopelessness, that just hell is all the same, you mm. know, it just that, yeah. I mean, it, yeah. it's, it's actually quite beautiful to see. Right. Mm -hmm. I have an in and speak the story. Like I, I, I 
I'm, I, I run a podcast and, and I help other people tell their story. And then when I go to tell mine, I'm just like all over the place. So <laughs> my apologies if that, if, if I'm everywhere, You're fine. You're fine. <laughs> I try to like share my, you know, I kind of like try to share story in not like great detail, but just not like focus doing well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you're doing, you're doing a great thing. I mean, and I'm so glad that, how's your relationship with your kids? Um, it's good. It, it's, it's great. Um, I, I wish they were like in person closer now they come out here for the summer and whatnot, but, um, you know, we, I call them every day before bed and, and we talk every single day and text and whatnot, but, um, it's, it's, it's good now. It really is good. compared to like how it was when I, you know, was in, when they first found out about everything, of mm-hmm. course, you know, like they're going to have some feelings about something, Sure. but just, just to, you know, them to be able to see me now and see how far I've come in my life. I mean, even my ex-wife you know, tells me from time to time how proud she is of me and, and how she's, you know, where I'm at in my recovery and in my life. And it's nice to hear that even from like my family and whatnot to hear my sisters and my brothers and my mom and people just say like, I am so grateful of where you're at in your life. You know, we, fentanyl is killing everybody. And my mom was just at a funeral yesterday for a family friend who had, who had uh, passed away from fentanyl. And, you know, she was like, and, and, and she was telling me, like, I'm just I'm so grateful that you're here and that you're alive and you're off of that because, you know, she's like, I can't tell you how many times that I thought that I would lose you. Wow. And it just it reminds me, like, that I have a purpose and that I'm here for a reason. Mm-hmm. Not everybody's spiritual and not everybody's religious, you know, like everyone's higher power is different. Mine's God. But, you know, I've God's brought me here for a reason and I'm still here. And I believe. We all have a why in our life. It all comes down to we all have a why, and it's a figure that why it's mm. us connecting to our higher power. Figure why are we here? And um, I truly believe that where I'm at in my life is my why. Uh, doing from the podcast to the nonprofits to everything that that that, that we're doing, um, helping people, you know, get into treatment and facilities and this that. Um, I, I believe walking in my why at this current part of my life. Good. And I'm going to, and, and all of life is always going to be, why are we here? You know, it's, it's going to be, we're going to question all the time. And I think our whole life is going to be seeking and, and wondering, you know, what our purpose is, but we're always going to be walking in, in certain phases of, of our purpose. Mm-hmm. And like right now, this is where I'm at in my life. This is what I'm doing. I'm, I'm walking and I believe this is my why of why I'm here. And I try to help people their why. I, I truly, I try to help people figure out why. What is your why? Why do you believe that you're here on this earth? Because we we could have all been dead. We could have all uh, succumbed to our, our addiction. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we've been spared and we're here. Okay. It's not the just luck of the draw that we just survived. All right. Why are we here? Mm-hmm. And I try to tell people that. Sit back. Think about it. What's your purpose? Why did you survive your 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 addiction? Why did you survive your you know suicide attempt? Why did you survive this? You obviously, have a greater purpose on this earth. Right. You weren't here just to live, breathe, and die. Like that's just not the way that I believe that that's happening. Yeah, me too. Me too. What would you tell someone that's in the throes of addiction right now? Literally, it, it, it 
cliche as this sounds, and, and it's it every it is cliche, but it, it's literally one day at a time. It's it's don't worry about tomorrow. Don't just worry about today. One, there's a brighter there's there's brighter light at the end of the tunnel. It's I know it feels dark. It's not it's not gonna be like this forever. But if you truly want it and you have to truly want it for you, you can't want it for your mom, for your dad, for your brother, you can't you have to truly want it for you. And if you truly want it and you take that first step, you just gotta keep putting one foot in front of the other. Don't look back, keep going forward, get that accountability. Make sure you got someone there to call you out on your stuff and focus on today. Every day in your recovery, doesn't matter how long you have clean. doesn't matter how long you have. So it doesn't matter how long anything. Go back to day one. Every, for me, five years later, every day is day one. Mm-hmm. I focus on because if I get complacent in my recovery, things are going to start going downhill. I mean, I get complacent, you get lazy. And that's something that we have to be. We have to practice that a lot is constantly every day is day one you know people are like yeah you know what oh i'd love to have five years you know they're they're 30 days in i'd love to have four or five years clean okay that's great that's a great end goal but don't focus on that focus on now yeah that's too big because you 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 it's too it's great to have goals and it's great to have visions like because i I will tell you this you know this is what i believe i cannot sit here and guarantee you that i'm going to be sober the next 20 years i can't i'm a human being i'm sorry i can Unfortunately, and, and I pray to God it never happens, I could lose it all tonight. But I can only hope and have faith that I will be clean, sober for the next 20 years, you know, for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. But I focus on now. I focus on next five minutes, you know, next next hour, you know, the next day. I, I, I don't because why are you going to struggle? Why are you going to stress yourself out? figure out about trying to stay sober tomorrow when when you you need to stay sober for for now for right, today right and so it is cliche it really is cliche but it is one day at a time and it's always every day is day one yeah sometimes it's every one moment at a time good grief I'm, it is man you know this i know people in recovery get tired of hearing it but it, it, it's true yeah well and that's yeah staying in the you know there's a there's a a saying I often tell sponsees, it's like, you know, you got to live where your feet are, you know, there, and that involves not beating the crap out of yourself over yesterday and not worrying about tomorrow, you know, living in your feet where they are to, or, you know, living where your feet are today in this moment, yeah. you know, because if you don't, you rob yourself of those, of those, um, individual moments that could be valuable when you're, you know, yeah. caught up in yesterday and tomorrow. Right. Absolutely. So it's, it's, how, it's, 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 a, it's a great vision, but just, yep. Focus on now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is really hard to do. It's not, I mean, it can be really, it can be really hard to do. I mean, that's just like you said, we're humans. I mean, and that's where surrounding yourself by people that, that you trust to tell you the truth about yourself, you know, that you've given the authority yep. to tell you the truth. Um, I think that it's, it's imperative to surround yourself with those types of people if you're tr- if you're right. wanting to be into recovery. You know, because I don't want to I don't want to just be sober. That's hell. Right. That's hell to me. Mm. I want to be mm-hmm. in recovery. You know, I yeah. want to, which involves just like you said, being being of maximum service to someone else yeah. besides myself. You it's know? a lifestyle. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's it's a lot. Li- you don't just get sober and then right. and then it's done. It, it is a, it's a literally, it becomes your life. 
Mm-hmm. And that and that's just the way it is. People think, okay, I'm going to get clean and, and, and sober and here I am. You know, no, it doesn't work like that. Getting sober is the easy part. Staying sober is the hard part. Right. You don't you don't graduate. <laughs> exactly. You, I was, no, you don't graduate. I was expecting to to enter into AA and someone ultimately will give me a, a nicely framed certificate, you know, of completion, you know, or something yeah. like that. And it's like, yeah, no, it's, keep coming back. <laughs> well it's I your whole, exactly. It, it works if you work it and mm-hmm. keep coming back. Mm-hmm. And it that's just, I've always held on to that. So, you know. You work on it, and, and I believe your certificate at the end of the day is when we die, when we die with clean, and, and you know, like that for me, like that's that's my certificate. That's to know that I've been able. That's success, mm-hmm. exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How can people find you, Jared? Yeah. Blaine? So, I, um, uh, our website, theblacklistpodcast.com. Uh, everything's on there. The only personal, the only personal um, thing I have is Facebook. Um, but I have everything linked to, so it's a, uh, so T H E B L A K L I S T dot uh, podcast.com that has all of our social, that has all of our, our Spotify, Apple, Pandora, you know, everything's on there. Um, and that has links to everything. Um, and then of course my Facebook.com slash I am Jared Blaine. Very cool. Thank you for taking the time to come and sit and talk with me today. I, I, I'm so glad to know, you know, it just, it's so, it's so awesome to, I mean, you know, you, you get into, at least here I am in Waco, Texas. I, I, I was in a bubble, you know, and, and it's like, I, I know that there's some recovery community, you know, here, but it's so wonderful to see different warriors around the country just doing the deal, man, you know, just um, yeah. on a day-to-day basis, just trying to spread hope. Which, mm-hmm. which Absolutely. I had none of, I had none of that. I had no hope. So the, and fact, that's why we yeah. do this mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is to, to show people there is hope. There is hope a hundred percent. I always end my show. With the, the, the last thing I always say when I end every, every episode is, um, is, is, is remember, um, there's always a hold on hope. Mm-hmm. Always a reason. And mm-hmm. so I, I end that with every episode just because, you're never too broken to be put back together. You know, there, 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 there's never, you can't burn too many bridges. Like there's just, you're, you are, there is hope. It's, it's not, even if you relapsed, it's not the end of the world. Okay. I get it. You got to start over, but, but you know, people get ashamed and they're just like, they don't want to do it anymore because then they feel like they've let everybody down, but it's like, there's hope. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter how you fall. It matters how you, when you get back up, what what are you going to do when you get back up? Yeah, are you shame. gonna sit down and cry about it, or are you gonna get up and actually do something? Mm-hmm. Yeah, shame kept shame kept me hiding for a long time. Yeah, yeah. shame shame will shame will kill you. Yeah, and it's like be loud and proud about it. Be loud and proud about your recovery. I get some people again, and I respect it. They want to be anonymous, and and I I respect that hundred percent. I'm just not one of those people. Yeah. I'm I'm loud I, and I proud. And I let people know. Yeah, I can't right. be. Mm-hmm. Because I've been given this, I've been given this second chance at life. Well, I don't know how many chances in my life, but I've been given all of these chances in my life, and I'm here, and and I, I couldn't just keep it to myself. I mm-hmm. got to share this for people. I got to let other people know that there is there is more to to the being an addict and mm-hmm. and 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 chasing you know this high. Like there is so much more to life. So I have to. I feel like I have been called. Personally, I feel like I've been called in my life to 
to be loud and proud in my recovery. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, and I, I was shameful in the very beginning, but then I'm like, like what am I doing? Like, no, I got to, I, I got to speak loud about it. And then when we do and talk about these things and about being loud and proud and this, and people that are watching and listening, they're like, wow, I can, all right, I can do this. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't have to be hiding in shame. You know, I don't have to be, I don't have to worry about it. I can do this. Right. And who cares what anybody else says? Who cares what anybody else says? At the end of the day, you focus on you and and, 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 and work work your program no matter whatever that may look like. Mm-hmm. Because everybody recovers different at the end of the day. Everyone does, whether it's CR or AA, you know, NA, whatever. Work your program and keep going. And, and, and don't let what anybody else says stop you. And if something hadn't worked... Don't give up. I mean, you know, um, you know, just like you said, I mean, AA may not be for everybody. There is something out there. There's enough programs and enough people in recovery that you just have to keep seeking, you know. And, and there, just yep. like you said, there is always hope. Thank you for joining me. I really appreciate you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much as well. All right. We'll stay in touch. Thank you for listening to the Purpose Driven Sobriety Podcast. Thanks for listening to Purpose Driven Sobriety. Keep coming back. This has been a Rogue Media Network production.